0: You're listening to The Open Podcasts.
1: He's got down in two from bunkers a million times, but never one as important as this.
2: But my mind was actually to try to hold it. And I know that sounds so weird because how could you even dream of something like that? But that's what golfers do. We dream of things that are not even possible. And they might only do it one out of a thousand times, but this is what we do as golfers.
3: The Open Championship offers a chance for golfers around the world to experience the pinnacle of sport. Those who dream about playing in golf's oldest major championship can realize their ambitions and can attempt to qualify in earnest each year for the Open. But what of those players who dare to dream bigger? Some players, when they make it to the Open, have one good round, some two or even three. But few ever manage to get their name on the claret jug. Brian Watts was nearly one of those few. In 1998, Watts, who had been an excellent player on the Japan tour for nearly half a decade, came within a whisker of realising his golfing dream. Six inches was all that stood between the American and golfing immortality.
2: You know, I'm sorry, I'm a dreamer. I always thought, you know what, I'm playing, why not me?
3: This is Tales of the Open. This is the story of Brian Watts. Watts was born in Montreal in 1966 to an English father and a German mother. His parents' home cultures had a big influence on his growth from a young age, as he soon began his life in America.
2: I was uh, born in Montreal, lived there for six months. Uh, my dad is English and my mother is German. My dad left England uh, to start working in uh, Montreal, uh, met my mother there and uh, after we, my dad get, uh, kept getting promoted through uh, the years and uh, finally when I was uh, age nine we moved to the Dallas Fort Worth area um, and that's when I picked up the game of golf. At that time, I was playing a lot of tennis. I was doing a lot of swimming, believe it or not. Uh, played a lot of soccer, uh, or as you would say, football. With my dad being English, uh, I was always playing a lot of uh, soccer here. I played eight seasons, which uh, sorry, eight years, which was 16 seasons. And then I finally gave it up at 16, uh, just because I was so focused on my golf at that time. And I just didn't have time to do both, quite honestly.
3: As Watts began to focus more on golf, his desire to improve was fueled by a love of the Open Championship, and from his experience playing golf in the British Isles with his family.
2: Yeah, ironically I was, uh, my first uh, memory of the, the Open was in 19, yeah you have to check the history books because I'm getting old here, um, in, in 1975 I was, we were actually in England at that time visiting my grandparents that's when I took a keen interest in it. Um, so we had the American Tom Watson, of course, and the, the Aussie uh, Jack Newton going into a playoff.
1: Cool. Well, that might be a championship winner, if ever there was one. Well, that was the right one at the right moment.
2: So that was my first, my first memory of a British Open. And then we came back there in 1980 as well, to visit my grandparents and my uncle and my cousins as well. Um, and in 1980, that's when I was, I was 14 at the time, and my dad uh, had scheduled a lot of golf. Our head professional at our country club in Dallas was actually the uh, president of the PGA of America, and he was able to gain uh, get us access to play St. Andrews back in 1980, and we were actually able to take a tour of the Royal and Ancient, which was uh, very, very nice. And um, you know, I was a little 14-year-old kid, so that was very, very uh, memorable. I still remember it as of today. And so that got me very interested in playing golf. And ironically, where my uh, grandmother and grandfather lived in Surrey, uh, outside of London, there was this cute little par-3 course, probably 500 meters from my uh, grandparents' house. And it was like this little park, and it was this tiny little par-3 course. Um, you know, short little holes, like, you know, 50 yards, 70 yards, 30 yards. Um, and I used to walk down there almost on a daily basis to... Uh, to do that, so um, those are my early memories of being in uh, the UK and the, and the British.
3: As Watts' obvious talent for the game became quickly apparent, shooting an incredible 13 under par round of 59 at the age of 15, he began to take the next step with training at Oklahoma State University, a highly successful and windswept golfing school.
2: Yeah, you know, as, as young kids, we have these dreams, right? want to be the next Jack Nicklaus or the next Tiger Woods or, you know, whatever the case may be, right? So even though I was not much of a golfer at age 12 and 13, I had hopes of becoming the next Jack Nicklaus or Ben Crenshaw or Tom Kite or somebody, right? You know, those are the dreams that we have as kids. And as unrealistic as it is, they were still dreams and you believe that stuff uh, when, you're a, when you're a kid. Uh, when I went to Oklahoma State, I definitely uh, was thinking about becoming a pro golfer. Um, I was highly recruited out of high school. I was playing for the best university golf team in, the, in our country and uh, who had a long history of uh, great players. Um, so by the time I was already in school, I was definitely planning on, okay, you know, how's this gonna work, what's gonna happen over the next four years and, uh, and go from there.
3: At Oklahoma State, Watts was one of the top golfers in the collegiate system, even competing in the U.S. Open in 1986. And after graduating from university, the 22-year-old turned professional. But for a young Watts, the hard work in the game of golf was just about to begin.
2: Yeah, I finished, I finished in, the, uh, in May of 1988, And uh, I think uh, we college kids uh, in general were very naive on how great um, professionals were at that point in time. It was a way different time. Back in those days, the golf instruction was uh, subpar to say the least. And the ball striking ability of college players, uh, except for a few guys, was not good enough as the majority of the professional players. Some of those pros that might be in their mid-30s or even 40 years old, uh, that we really hadn't uh, seen much on TV, they were far superior with their golf than even big time college golfers. When I got out of school, we played uh, mini tour golf, just trying to figure out a way to get ready for that qualifying school at the end of the year. So it was a gut wrenching fall every year, right? As a professional, you get one chance, you know, it's kind of like you get one, inter- you know, three separate interviews. And if you don't make it, you don't have a job the next year. And, you know, I remember the falls being very, a uh, lot of anxiety during that time. In 88, I missed in stage two by a couple strokes, played a little bit of golf in Asia the following spring, which was a unique experience to say the least played all kinds of golf in 1989. At the end of 89, I missed uh, the PJ Tour at the final stage, I believe. Fast forward to the spring of 90, I did the same thing. I went to Asia, played a few tournaments in Australia, came back home. Uh, fast forward to the end of 1990, that's when I finally got my PJ Tour card. Um, that was in California, in Palm Springs. So on my third try, I finally got my Tour card.
3: The anxiety of trying to secure a tour card was intense for Watts, but through playing Asian events, the American found confidence in his game. In 1991, however, a poor season and a close call at PGA Tour Q School the following year eventually resulted in Watts seeking serious improvements in his swing and looking elsewhere for more permanent playing opportunities. Those travels would take him back to Asia, which would shape not only Watts' career in golf. But the character of the then twenty-six-year-old.
2: I played in the Pakistan Open in nineteen eighty-nine. I think it was the only time they ever had a golf tournament there. Uh, played in India, played in Philippines, Thailand, Korea, Taiwan, just everywhere. Indonesia, you know. And so that's that was the Asian Tour. Uh, then you go through like uh, nineteen ninety-one when I got on the PJ Tour. Um, it was a struggle. It was really difficult. I think I finished about 180th on the money list. And my short game was definitely good enough, but my ball striking was uh, nowhere near good enough to compete with these guys. But at that time, I was starting to work with an instructor for the first time after playing uh, on the Hogan Tour in, in uh, early '92. You know, finishing you know fifth, tenth, fifteenth, twentieth on the Hogan Tour, but I knew it wasn't good enough. Um, I knew in my heart, after playing the year before, that I wasn't a good enough ball striker, so I turned my career over to a gentleman by the name of Robert Noel. I knew him through a friend of mine, and uh, we started revamping my golf swing starting in the spring of 92. He's got a nice rhythm about his,
1: uh, his play, hasn't he? It's almost, almost, sort of old-fashioned. He, almost Bobby Jones style, see those old pictures?
2: Uh, by the end of that year i had a different kind of feeling because i knew my ball striking was getting to the place where it needed to be and then you fast forward to the spring of 93 i really didn't have any options here in the u.s other than just stay at home and so a couple buddies of mine we decided to go back to asia and play Um, my very first tournament was the hong kong open Uh, tom watson was the defending champion um, a lot of the European players were there, such as Seve, Jose Maria, Colin Montgomery, David Faraday. And uh, I went out and shot 63 the first day, and I ended up winning the golf tournament. That was my first professional win, and that was the first tournament on the Asian Tour. And you fast forward, I think, 10 weeks or 11 weeks, and I ended up becoming the Asian Order of Merit winner, which granted me a eight-month exemption onto the Japanese Tour.
3: A first professional win to remember in the Hong Kong Open paved the way for a homecoming of sorts. With his Asian Tour Order of Merit success, Watts qualified to compete in the 122nd Open at Royal St. George's, not too far from the par-3 course he played as a boy in Surrey.
2: For me, and I know this is such cliché to say, um, you know, it, it's the most important major, you know, everybody says those kind of things. It's the most important major, et cetera, et cetera, because they might have success. But for me, despite being American, um, uh, cause I got my citizenship when I was 17. Um, despite being American, the British Open was always my number one goal. I promise you, um, you know, because of my family, my true heritage of my family, my dad being English, all my uh, family being from England or half of my family being from England, And then having those young experiences watching Tom Watson and Jack Newton uh, playing St. Andrews at age 14, along with a host of other golf clubs on that trip. We were over in the UK for over a month that summer. You know, that kind of upbringing, of course, it was most special to me. And it still is today. Um, So my first experience there in 93, I mean, I was in awe because here I am playing in the Open Championship. I was awestruck. I remember, you know, playing a practice round and Seve and Jose Maria, you know, were in the group in front. Um, It it was a big experience. I didn't play very well. I don't remember what I shot. Um, I know I missed the cut. I remember getting fish and chips, you know, two or three nights that week. Um, But it was a really, really nice experience for me.
3: After getting a taste of the Open in 1993, Watts was keen to return the following year after winning for the first time on the Japan tour in early 1994.
2: And then, starting in '94, I won my first uh, term in Japan in the spring. There was a few invited players like Bob Tway and some others uh, that were there, so that was you know a very nice win. And ironically, you know, I'd write you know back in those days we didn't have cell phones and those things and or internet access, and so I remember sending my uncle um, like a postcard uh, from Japan, just basically mentioning, hey, if I ha- if I play really well and these five tournaments in Japan they'll have like a little mini money list and the top three or four guys will get into the Open and uh, my uncle came out in 93 and watched me play uh, at Royal St. George. As luck would have it in 94 I won the final tournament of that lake called the Mizuno Open and the Royal and Ancient uh, representatives were there and it was really really special because winning that tournament uh, that was in I think the third week of June that allowed me to make a quick uh, uh, preparations to come to uh, Turnberry. Fast forward a couple of weeks at Turnberry, it was really, really great. It's one of my favorite golf courses on the uh, British uh, rotation. I was maybe uh, don't remember exactly, but let's just say I was around 10th or 12th place after two days.
1: Brian Watts. In like looking at his playing record this year, he's won a couple of times. On the Japanese circuit, and that's no mean feat.
2: And then Saturday, we we're in the two ball, of course, and I was paired with Greg Norman, uh, who was the defending champion. So here's just little old me, right? I'm playing uh, in the open, I'm in contention, defending champion is next to me, and the world number one. I remember Greg playing extremely great golf. If he could have putted, he would have shot 63 or four. He, I think he shot 69 uh but he was a tremendous ball striker i can't remember what i shot but i had a nice tournament that week and that gave me a lot of confidence going forwards because i knew that if i played you know basically to the maximum of my ability i would have a chance to compete at least i'm not saying win or anything like that but i knew if i played up to my ability that i was getting to the place where i was getting better and better and if the cards fell right for me and I was having a great week and others weren't, then I would be able to try to compete someday. Uh, so 94 was my first time to really have that, that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I've won in Japan a couple times. I came to the Open, I was you know, playing well after two days. And of course, even at that time, my mind was like I really wanted to win the championship, but I wasn't ready at that point in time.
3: While Watts wasn't yet ready to contend in the Open, He was still mixing regularly with the world's very best and took his career up another level off the back of his first made cut at the Open in 1994. Five wins on the Japan Tour that year took Watts near the world's top 50 and gave the 28-year-old a second-placed finish on the Japanese money list behind only Jumbo Ozaki, the most dominant Japan Tour player in history. The excellent golf in the Far East would continue and by the end of 1997, Watts had won 10 times on the Japan Tour since winning the Hong Kong Open four years earlier, and had played five consecutive Opens. Now heading into the 127th Open in 1998 at Royal Birkdale, with nine top fives in the last 14 events on tour, it appeared the chance Watts had been dreaming of was potentially just around the corner. He was finally ready. Although you wouldn't have guessed it, from watching his practice rounds.
2: Coming into 1998 uh, Open Championship, I was playing quite well. You know, I'm sorry, I'm a dreamer. I always thought, you know what, I'm playing, why not me? Realistic? Probably not, right? Um, But I was playing really nice golf. And the strangest thing happened. I played my practice round with Bob Tway, who's a good friend of mine, and the driving range, the wind was real, you know very windy that week, and the wind was blowing right to left. I always used to hit a lot of golf balls. And something odd happened to where I guess on the driving range, I started lining my shoulders up way to the right, and I will tell you this, in the practice rounds, I couldn't find the club face. I was hitting it terrible. My caddy and I, we just couldn't figure it out and we went to the driving range on Wednesday afternoon after we played. I don't think we played a practice round that day, sorry. I think we would've played probably Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I always came to the open early. I always, you know, did practice rounds early. Uh, So Wednesday would've been a driving range day. And we finally figured out that my shoulders were out of whack and it was all because of the strong wind right to left on the driving range. And all of a sudden I became a new player by Thursday morning. Thursday morning came around. um, I remember hitting the ball well. I remember getting up and down a lot, but one thing I'd like to mention here is I had a wonderful pairing the first two days.
1: Brian Watts playing with Sandy Lyle,
2: Mizumaki. In no specific order, I was playing with a Japanese player, ironically, uh, Yoshi Mizumaki. Um, He was a good player at the time, very nice man. I'd been to dinner with him a bunch of times in Japan. He was very accommodating. He spoke a little bit of English. Really, really good man. And the other gentleman in our group was Sandy Lyle. And Sandy was nothing but tremendous. And so I had this really nice, nice, warm feeling about my pairing. Um, I didn't know Sandy at that time, but he was a just top of the line kind of guy. And then because I knew uh, Yo- uh, Yoshi-san, it was very easy for me, a very nice pairing. Brian Watts at the
1: 18th. He got his uh, birdie at the 17th. And that's for a par at the last, so he's, uh, he's done very well, home in 32, round in 68, Brian Watts from the US.
3: Comfortable in his grouping, a first round of 68 from Watts was an ideal start at Birkdale. But on day two, in brutal weather conditions, the 32-year-old's round was arguably even better.
2: My hitting was good, but the best part of the first two days, especially with the uh, adverse weather, uh, was my short game. I even remember Sandy making a comment like, golly, I've never seen somebody get up and down so much. I was literally pitching the ball, and my bunker play was tremendous. And anytime it wasn't a gimme, I'd make the putt from 10 feet or 8 feet or 6 feet or whatever the case may be. So I really maximized my scores the first two days. And after the first day, I was totally excited, right? I believe Tiger might have been leading with about a 64 or five or something like that. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, I've got my a good round. And then the next day he came around, I remember teeing off early and it was nasty certainly not the good scoring conditions or the good spectating conditions we had
4: for yesterday's opening round the forecast is for the morning rain to move away but perhaps the breeze to strengthen this afternoon standing water there on the ninth fairway let's hope there's no doubt about play being uninterrupted today but it's certainly a contrast
2: with yesterday so added satisfaction this morning for those who took advantage of yesterday's good weather it was raining and the winds were horrendous you know 30 plus mile an hour winds, and I think it, throughout the day it got to 40 miles an hour. This is Brian
4: Watts on the 14th tee. It's a very smooth swing.
1: That's another superb shot from Brian. He's really playing well now
4: in the groove. It's amazing how some can handle the wind, keep it steady.
2: And there you are after 14 holes, he's a uh, level par in these conditions. And no matter how well you were hitting the ball, you couldn't hit the green basically. And so short game was the thing and you know, mental toughness and course management, all those things that uh, were kind of my strong suits, it all uh, kind of came into one, at one time at the right time, everything was kind of blossoming for me at that time. Brian Watts there played a magnificent bunker shot at the 16th, having Pushed his second shot into deep, into the deep bunker. That was a beautifully played. And then when we finished that day, you know, uh, guys were still playing the afternoon because the way they do the tea times, right? It's all day long. And the scores just got worse and worse, and you know, you know, nobody could play very good golf because of the weather and I ended up being the leader after two days. And so that it was it was tremendous. What's at the 18th? Very nice. That's a 69.
1: Very well compiled indeed. So Brian Watts is our new leader, one three seven sixty eight sixty nine. That's uh, that's uh, would have been a good pick to sort him out of the one hundred and fifty six runners to be leading at this moment.
3: As high scores rolled in from those still out on course, with the weather deteriorating further, Watts remained one stroke ahead of Nick Price, Justin Rose, and Tiger Woods. And would eventually sleep on a lead on Friday night at three under par, and how well he slept indeed.
2: Because I was don't want to come across arrogant. Because I was used to winning, like in Japan, and I know the competition is way less. You know, no, no question about that. But your mindset is about doing those same kind of things, um, even if you're winning mini tour golf tournaments your mindset when you go to the pj tour event is like i'm used to winning and you know it doesn't scare me and that's you know that's why you have some stories every once in a while from you know guys that you know the media's never heard of but we are you know i was feeling good after two days i was playing good golf and i was you know not in the lead when i finished but you know as the day went on i ended up being in the lead um i don't know what tiger shot that day but i think we would have practiced in the afternoon a little bit did my interviews and those things and you know, gone back to the house that we rented and, you know, kind of hung out. Ironically, I slept great that night. I don't think I woke up till, you know, nine or nine o'clock or something like that in the morning. So slept great. I wish I could sleep like that today. Um, but I woke up around nine o'clock and just did my thing in the morning. We probably would have teed off around two o'clock, um, I'm guessing. Um, and I was playing with a young amateur by the name of Justin Rose. Um, so um, that, that was a great pairing. Um, You know, it it was probably good for me. I was playing with a a young man. I think he was 17 at the time. I think that was a good pairing for me.
1: Brian Watts, who's uh, spent much of his golfing life in Japan. And he's got a very nice-looking swing. He's going out last with Justin Rhodes.
0: As the countdown to the 150th Open at St. Andrews continues, the Open's official website, has more content than ever before to whet your appetite for a landmark championship. Visit theopen.com today and explore our vast library of videos, as well as a host of new features, championship updates, ticket and hospitality information, venue guides, every episode of The Open podcasts, and much more.
3: Leading The Open, Watts set out to build on his strong start through two days but it wasn't plain sailing by any stretch of the imagination. On a day where not a single player broke the par of 70, and only two players bettered 72, the third round of the 1998 Open was an examination that Watts had been preparing for his whole life.
2: Yeah, I would say that a lot of things, everything kind of came together because the Open Championship was the one that I had the best chance to compete in if the weather was poor. Um, I flourished, uh, still do today when it's windy, If I play golf today, I want it to be blowing because I know I can hit the shots and I've got the short game to still make gritty pars and those kind of things. Um, I always competed better. If you ever look at my record, it'll always be better in the harder tournaments. You know, I grew up with, I mean, it's just so kind of funny because everything was was kind of like all put together my whole life, basically. I grew up in Dallas. It's a very windy area of our country. You know, you can go back in time. uh, ben Hogan, Byron Nelson, Ben Crenshaw, Tom Kite, just goes on and on. Everybody's a great wind player, um, and there's dozens of guys uh, that are famous. Um, if you wanted to play good golf and you're from Texas, you had to play well in the wind, so that's one thing. Then I go to Oklahoma State, where it blows even more in at Oklahoma State. My golf coach in college, uh, Mike Holder, arguably one of the two best college golf coaches ever, Um, He was a very tough man, and we always had our qualifyings for the team on the most difficult days. If there was a day where it was perfect and sunny and no wind, we didn't play. We only competed against each other on days when it was tough. So I had four years of that, and then I spent six years in Japan, and it was windy in Japan as well. So all these experiences were parts of why I was able to compete and almost win the Open Championship in 98. Welcome to third round day
4: at Royal Birkdale. We had difficult conditions yesterday, but this third round day is potentially even tougher. We've got that gusting wind as strong as it was yesterday, even stronger maybe. Reports of gusts of 30, 35 miles an hour. And the forecast is that the wind will possibly be accompanied by some heavy showers later on. Well, this is traditionally a day to move into a challenging position for the final day. But here at Royal Birkdale,
2: it's just become another day to survive. Tough, tough conditions. And not to be cliche here, but my goal was just to play the the golf course and hit my shots. And I remember it being very, very windy. It was a very, very tough day. And we had
3: the brunt of it because we were in the last group. And in the tough weather, an early bogey for Watts came on the first hole.
1: And Watts, the only man who's broken 70 or broken par twice so far. No, just faded away. So a five for Watts.
3: Before another bogey on the sixth.
4: Now, Brian Watts, championship leader. It's for his par. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, took too much of it. Took too much of it, so he will join Thomas Bjorn of Denmark to one under.
3: To start the back nine, Watts ran into problems on the 10th.
4: Watts for a par. No.
1: Always just on the high side, so. Gradually tip going backwards.
3: And with a couple of more dropped shots sprinkled throughout the first two thirds of his round, Canadian born golfer found himself at five over par for his day and two over par for the championship. But the Japan tour star was still just a shot off the lead and a sparkling iron shot to the 13th began a superb closing run.
4: Uh, Brian Watts who has played today with a beautiful quiet rhythm. I think it has helped Justin Rose.
2: I remember hitting an iron, it was probably like a six iron or something like that. And of course, you know, link style golf, you land the ball short. So there's, you know, a lot of luck involved with getting it, you know, really close. But I remember hitting one that landed well short of the green on purpose, of course, with a strong wind. And it rolled up there to probably a meter or something like that. And I remember making that one. And get a nice kick
4: there, 13. Up over the little ridge and coming down towards the flag, that is a beautiful shot. Quite classic iron shot.
1: Sure. Are we seeing a new star, Alex, I wonder? And this little putt here, three for Watts. That's a nice hole to get a three at.
3: Two pars on the 14th and 15th followed, enabling Watts to retake the lead amidst a crowded leaderboard of star players. But an exceptionally difficult up and down awaited from a greenside bunker on the 16th hole.
1: Watts, Ryan Watts at the 16th, second shot. Oh, has he pushed it a bit? Is it coming back? No, it's gone, surely. I don't think we'll ever remember a day when nobody broke par. Nobody's going to break par. Good shot. Oh, stop just a whisker too soon. Now, these two have got to finish off well here. The 17th, if they get good tee shots away, is a par five, but most people are getting fours. Very slowly back, and push through, and <laughs> nerveless, very good four. Nice face, isn't it? Nice smiley face, that's a nice, comforting face.
3: Par on 16 was a huge bonus, and after finding the par 5 17th hole in two strokes, Watts could take a comfortable birdie.
1: Oh we got a nice bounce. I thought it was gonna stop well short. But that's coming up to the base of the slope. Two pups will be back to level par. Up she comes. Beautiful putt. Let's pop this out the way. Hold on. rounds of 68 and 69 and whatever happens he's going up instead of down but he's uh, ahead of the pack at the moment
3: suddenly watts held a two-stroke advantage and a power at the last for a three over 73 meant that after all was said and done watts would be beaten by only five players on the day
1: now this little putt for a 73 for brian watts which will make him the championship leader by two Thank you very much. Came home in Level Park. Good playing. Very
2: nice. Touch of old world charm. Very well played. And I shot 73 that day, which is three over, but it was a good golf score. You know, even Phil Mickelson, you know, later to become a British Open champion, shot 85 that day. Justin Leonard, who had won a the year before, I believe, shot eighty two that day. Nick Price, I think, uh, you know, he was up there, top few players in the world, shot eighty two as well. So because it was a it was a tough day when you have, you know, all time greats shooting eighty five and eighty two. Uh, my seventy three wasn't the low score, but it was definitely a uh, very very good score, which put me in position the next day.
3: Although having never finished better than tied for fortieth in a major. Watts held the lead by two going into Sunday. But after decades of dreaming and improving, and with a penchant for winning in college and in Japan, Watts was ready. A chance for golfing immortality. But again, he certainly didn't lose any sleep over it.
2: Believe it or not, um, I actually slept better on Saturday night. Um, I, don't, I remember waking up after 10, 10 o'clock in the morning. And so I must have slept at least 11 hours.
1: Don't change anything tonight, Brian.
2: Maybe it's because it was such tough conditions on Friday and Saturday that just wore me out, but I slept like a baby. And so when I got up, there wasn't a lot of time to start getting worried about or get anxious about, because by the time I woke up, by the time I had breakfast, I got my stuff together, by the time I went through my routine, it was almost time to tee off.
1: Welcome to the final day of this year's Open Championship. It's rather dreary. It's rain, light rain, has been falling since round about half past six this morning. It's pretty gloomy. But the surprise leader, Brian Watts from Oklahoma, plays most of his professional golf in Japan and very successfully too. Will it be his turn?
2: And then it was uh, ironic that Sunday was the day when there was hardly a breath of wind. Uh, the weather was ideal, perfect. <laughs>
1: So the championship leader, Ryan Watts, playing alongside Jesper Parnovic today. (laughs) Uh, Watts may be an unfamiliar name to you, but I can tell you he's a very experienced player. And he plays a gentle, tidy game. He doesn't appear to get very flustered. And it'll be very interesting to see how he handles it all today.
3: On the tee, Brian Watts.
4: He maintained a beautiful rhythm throughout the, the gale force winds yesterday. And he started off with it again. And that's fine too.
3: Teeing off in the final group on Sunday, Watts made his first par all week on the opening hole, with a nerve-settling eight-footer.
1: oh Pretty smooth, eh? That's the first par he's had at this uh, first hole. He had three fives and a four. Now, whether that's a good omen or not, I don't know.
2: The, the final day, my ball striking was top-notch. I didn't miss hardly any greens that day. Uh, I put my best Nick Price or Nick Faldo game that I could, you know, fairway green, fairway green, fairway green. But I was always, you know, 20 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet for birdies, which made it difficult. I remember three putting a hole early on.
3: After three straight pars to begin his round, a three putt bogey on the fourth hole was the first sign of adversity.
1: He thought, oh, it's gone a long way past, four feet. Testing little time for uh, Mr. Watts. First mistake of the day, and he goes back to one over for the championship and then a tie with Marco Mira.
3: Yes, the Montreal-born 32-year-old proved once again he was made of strong stuff. Immediately bouncing back on the fifth hole with a huge putt for birdie.
2: Uh, but I remember bombing in you know like a long 40 foot or maybe on the fourth hole or something like that so kind of stupid mistake then came right back with a birdie right afterwards brian watts coming
4: up the slope a huge break right to left it's his third shot he's read it well (laughs) well he three butted the last and we all thought panic would set in Instead of that, he's come back with a smart birdie. And he's suddenly out on his own again. And Marco Mira, his nearest rival, is struggling.
3: By the turn, Watts had hit all bar one green, the first, and still stood at even par with a two-stroke advantage.
2: And I just kept plotting along all day. But it was the only day where I really wasn't maximising. But again, it's not like I was hitting it 5 feet, 10 feet, 15 feet. I just remember hitting a ton of greens that day, and basically just plotting along and just making a bunch of pars. Another good shot. He, he seems
0: to be playing sort of fairly conservatively,
2: doesn't he?
1: Well, that's good. He's two strokes ahead. As long as he keeps getting parsed, somebody's got to get three birdies and not drop any shots to go by him. I think he's uh, he's showing us the way, the way to play. And it may all end up in tears, but at the moment he's
3: pretty good. A great approach on the tenth couldn't quite yield a birdie, however and despite a par on the 11th, Watts was joined at the top of the leaderboard by a charging Marco Mira. And after his tee shot on the par 3 12th, things looked to suddenly have turned on their head.
1: Uh-oh. They were groaning before he... So he shoved it away. Oh, that could be... That could be bad news there.
3: A bogey was not a bad result after a wild tee shot, but suddenly left Watts needing to make a forward move in the closing stages.
4: Brian Watts and he that drop shot at the 12th, just took him out of the lead, just one behind.
3: Approaching the 17th hole, he remained at one over par, with Marco O'Meara setting the clubhouse target at level par just ahead. Watts knew where he stood and knew he needed a birdie.
4: Everything went strangely quiet. Brian Watts, tee shot at the 17th. And he is only one behind Amira. And
2: he's on the open side and a bit short. 17th hole. I remember having a pitch from maybe 30, 40 yards, something like that. And I knew where I was at that time. I knew I was one, I think I was one behind at that time. Uh, I remember the pin being kind of just over a shelf. Uh, on the left side you couldn't hit you couldn't lob it on top you had to bump it into the the slope beforehand bounce it up and kind of stop and I just remember goosing it just a little bit to where the ball didn't grab fast enough and it went by the hole probably 20 feet
4: it looped for a moment, as though it might take a little bit of a bite to about its second bounce, and then it decided to ignore that. And then I think it maybe got a little bit of a downslope and just taken it 12 feet past, maybe 15 feet. Great
1: shear rings out from back down the course. Brian Watts for a
4: birdie at the 17th to tie the lead. And that was the roar
2: that disturbed Jim Furick at the 18th. And then when I hold that putt, that was one that really got me, oh my gosh. You know, what a great clutch putt. And I was so jacked going into the last hole. And I remember hitting a driver on 18, Uh, Swing was still feeling good. I had this long, you know, rhythmic swing. Barely hit it in the left rough, maybe a yard or something like that. I might have been in the first cut as well. And then I remember my second shot. um, Maybe I was a little nervous on the second shot. I didn't play it far enough out to the right.
1: He's got a grip nice and firm, a little bit tighter. Keep the body still,
2: drive it through. You know, it turned it over a little too much and it barely crept in the bunker, which we didn't know when we hit it.
1: Oh, and that's just top. He could nearly have got that on the front of the green. And well, he's still smiling. That's left him an awkward one because he's so near the back of the bunker and the bunker is narrow. He'll Need to conjure up a bit of magic from there to get it close.
2: So I, I get up there and we walk up, I think Andy, my caddy, got there first and the ball was barely in the bunker, right? Which means it rolled to barely get into the bunker. And oh my gosh. And let's see
1: how he, how he gets into this. He is awkward. It's a horrid stance. Now he's got to keep his body level. This, is, this calls for a great degree of skill and a,
2: a touch of luck. The only thoughts were, how am I gonna get the ball out? The ball was below my feet, in the bunker. I couldn't even get a stance, a proper stance. And so your mind is just going, how am I gonna get this ball onto the green, knowing that I have to get it onto the green and make some kind of miracle putt to go into a playoff? Because we knew at that point in time where everything stood.
1: He's got down in two from bunkers a
2: million times, but never one as important as this and i will tell you this you know this is the honest truth going back to 1994 um i won that Mizuno open which qualified me for that british open right on the 72nd hole i was in the bunker in the final group i hit my bunker shot out to like two inches 15 minutes later we were in the playoff to win i was in a bunker right next to it and i hold it for the win i hold the bunker shot on the playoff hole to win So when in 1998, when I'm in that bunker, despite the fact that I was really trying to get it onto the green to make some kind of a miraculous par, I had two dreams. I kept thinking of two things. I thought about my winning bunker shot four years before, and I thought of Bob Tway, my friend, who holed a bunker shot on his 72nd hole to win the PGA against Greg Norman. So believe it or not, this is what was in my mind. But my mind was actually to try to hold it. And I know that sounds so weird because how could you even dream of something like that? But that's what golfers do. We dream of things that are not even possible. That's why Sergio and all these guys, they hold these shots from off the green. It's because they're dreaming it. They're believing they could do it despite how difficult it is. And they might only do it one out of a thousand times, but this is what we do as golfers. (laughs) It's, excuse me. And then when I was able to get the ball out of the bunker, it took a nice little kick on the slope to the right and was going towards the hole. Not the technique, not anything else. My thinking was the reason why the ball got up there so close, to one foot maybe or something like that. Well, I've seen some shots. When the ball pitched
1: and kicked to the right, it was on the perfect line. It was just one of those things, almost to, well, we'll have to see whether it's a touch of destiny or not. And the result, well, he's only a few inches from the hole, a certain four, and that's a playoff. That really was a magical shot. And you'd have to say that's the sh- shot of the championship after young Justin had held out. But uh, that, under these circumstances, was quite magical.
2: So that was a very gratifying shot and all that kind of stuff. And it was very electric and very exciting. And, you know, if it would have gone in, it would have been historic. But anyways.
3: With a brutally difficult lie in the bunker, most would have resigned themselves to the sometimes harsh breaks of Link's golf. But Watts was not like most others, instead embracing the chance to play the ultimate shot. It was a shot that Watts considers the greatest of his life. Yet now Watts was up against a red-hot O'Meara, the Masters champion of that spring, in a four-hole playoff for the title.
4: They're all at the fifteenth tee. Still, they wait. Maybe Mister Watts hasn't made it to the tee. He had to complete his car. Here he comes. Just time for a quick snack.
2: You know, I'm sure others might have wanted me to hurry a little bit more to the tee, but I was decompressing just a little bit, sitting in the locker room, just for a couple minutes after signing my card. I went over to 15, and I have to admit, I I was nervous. I mean, I was nervous for all the days and stuff. I remember missing the first fairway as a par five, but I recovered well in the second shot, and my third shot with an eight iron got to like five feet, six feet.
3: On the first playoff hole, the 15th, a key moment set the tone for what was to come. After a superb approach with an 8-iron, Watts set up a birdie putt from just outside four feet. Omira made his birdie first from just outside Watts, before the world number 34 stepped up for his try.
4: Either
2: he didn't read it or he pushed it a little bit, and so uh, O'Meara has the advantage of one stroke. Maybe one foot outside mine, he made, I missed. I remember being, you know, anxious on that putt.
3: The pair then made pars on the 16th, before O'Meara appeared to take back control on the par 5 17th. But a lengthy par putt kept the battling Watts in with a shout.
2: Uh, I struggled again on 17 with my T ball, but I made a big putt for a par to stay one behind. <laughs> to five. to five.
4: How could a man with his temper not be able to get a car in the United States Tour, Peter?
1: Had five goes at it, Alex, and didn't manage it, and then took his talents to Japan, where he is uh, hes very successful.
2: And then on the last hole, Mark, I'm sure he hit the fairway, knocked it on the green a long ways away, but I knew I needed birdie, and my second shot, I was going for the pin, and I ended up being in the bunker, similar to where I was um, on the 72nd hole, and I knew I had to hole it, and I think I knocked it way past the hole like 30 feet or something like that.
1: Oh, I think he jabbed
2: it, shot away a bit too fast,
1: and that's going off the back. And Amira will have two for it now.
2: The playoff didn't go as expected. Um, Mark, you know, played solid. He made one birdie in three pars, and um, but he was in control once he made the putt on 15, and then I missed a short one uh, right after him. That was, that, that was tough.
3: But at the last, Watts' bid to win the 127th Open finally came to an end. Despite leading on Friday night, Saturday night and the majority of Sunday, it was instead O'Meara who took home the claret jug. It was a result and performance that made Watts immensely proud, but still stings to this day, with the Americans' ultimate goal appearing so close, but yet so far. After the Open in 1998, Watts continued his great form into the following year, reaching number 18 in the world and playing excellent golf on the PGA Tour for the first time, including making all four cuts in the majors. But cruelly, just as his career was peaking at the age of 33, Watts caught the injury bug, one that kept him away from the top of the game thereafter.
2: Coming into 1999, I felt good about my golf game. I played well right away on the tour. I had a very consistent year. I think I was, you know, top 25 in scoring average, um, maybe 50-something on the money list. I made the cut in all the majors plus the Players' Championship, which was a very small group of men that year. Um, So my game was very, very solid. Then I started having a hip problem in 2000 um, which I ended up getting repaired in January of 2001 but it was a struggle I wasn't able to post up on my left side because of a dysfunctional hip had that repaired Um, the repair went okay at the time uh, and it lasted about a year I went to the same guy Greg Norman did uh, Jesper Parnovic Steve Elkington we all went to the same guy and we found out later on that the way they were doing that labral tear repair was not the right way to do it they don't do it that way any longer and i don't want to speak for the other gentlemen, but i was never able to post up on that left hip properly again so 2000 was a struggle i barely missed my tour card um, i went to the qualifying school i missed by one stroke um, then the injuries started happening a lot the bad repair for that labral tear started affecting me in 2002 as i mentioned it was good for about one year which was 2001 Uh, And then starting in 02, 03, 04, that's when things were going chaotic. Uh, The labral tear wasn't done right. The hip wasn't right. Then my low back was taking all the brunt of all the the stress on the hip. Things that everybody knows of today, this wasn't even known back in those days. Uh, There was no biomechanics and all this great stuff. And um, unfortunately my career was derailed because of that. And I quit playing in uh, June of 2003. Despite having a tour card, I just I couldn't do it anymore. Um, I tried to make some comebacks here and there, but I was never the same guy again.
3: After his career in professional golf was cut short through injury, Watts has spent more time with his family and now works at a virtual care tech company based in Texas. And while Watts crafted an excellent career for himself, working hard to improve his game and achieve great success in Japan, he will never know just how good he could have become.
2: I had a young family. I was trying to catch up with my kids. I got three kids, Jason, Kelsey, and Kevin. They're 24, 21, and 18 now. And when I really finished playing uh, 10, 11 years ago, they were just young little guys, right? So I was trying to catch up, especially with the first two, because as a golfer, you know, you're traveling all the time. You're always gone. Um, and then my little one, I've been around, you know, basically he was born in 02. I've been around basically his whole life um, because I really haven't played all that much golf. And then finally in 2013, I got my hip replaced and I've been good ever since. To me, that's the most disappointing part of my career was that right when I was peaking at age 33, in 1999, I was 33, I was really peaking. I was really becoming the player that I wanted to be and um, you know that's when all the injuries started happening and that's what uh, forced me to retire. And then I actually uh, made investments over time and those kind of things. I got invested in a tech company here locally. And then uh, when I wasn't going to play the Champions Tour, the company was actually looking for a business development guy. And I was invested in the company, and I started working for them. It's called Vital Tech. Um, We have a virtual care platform. Um, So I started working there in 2015, and that's what I've been doing for the last uh, six years.
3: For anybody who likes to dream in golf, the Open Championship is the ultimate reward. An event anybody can qualify to play in. The possibility of winning the Open is always an endearing fantasy, no matter how slim the chances are in reality. But for Brian Watts, a superb wind player with a magical short game and a knack for victory at all levels of golf, that ambition was just six inches away from being realised at Royal Birkdale all from a near-impossible bunker shot that Watts himself so nearly willed into the hole. Now that is the stuff of dreams.
2: And I know people always say this, I said this earlier in this conversation, people always say that it's my favorite tournament, and it's usually because somebody wins and those kind of things. But literally, you probably see it in my face, the British Open was always the tournament that was most special to me because of my family heritage, okay, number one. And then also, as a young man, getting to play St. Andrews and a host of other clubs uh, for a month uh, in the summer of 1980 when I was 14 years old. Open has always been very, very special to me. Part of me is so excited. Here I am getting to talk about it again 23 years later. Great experience. Totally jacked. You know, I was the runner up in the Open Championship. But on the other side, it's like when you have an opportunity to win, you really want to win. And there's also a part of me that's very disappointed I didn't win because you go down in history, you can always have that next to your name. And just having that, you know, that accomplishment of being the Open champion. I'm not saying I should have won or anything like that, but I had just as good a chance as anybody. So that part is the disappointing part, right? But the way I finished runner-up was kind of unique um, because of the great bunker shot in the last hole. And so that part's kind of cool. And some people do remember uh, the Open Championship from 33 years ago, and they do recall that bunker shot and those kind of things, so that's kind of cool. Oh,
1: nice bounce. Oh, that, <laughs> it's, excuse me.
2: If I would have finished second by five shots and just plotted along, you would be asking me to be on a podcast, right? I mean, so I'm having a great time doing this and um, so a lot of good memories from it. I don't say I, I live and dreaming any day every day or anything like that. But of course I wish I was the nineteen ninety eight Tokyo champion. I mean, I have to be, you know, very honest. Not because of money, just the prestige of Being an open champion, I mean, you take that to your grave, you're in the history books and everything, right? Just wish I was me as well. (laughs) That,
1: under these circumstances, was quite magical.
3: With thanks to Brian Watts. Narrated by me, Shane O'Donoghue. Written, produced and edited by Chris Lewis. Executive produced by Paul Sutcliffe.
0: Subscribe to the Open's official YouTube channel to enjoy the best video content from Golf's original championship, including official films dating back to 1970, full final rounds from past Opens, a range of compilations showcasing memorable moments, highlights from the 149th Open, and much more. Subscribe today to make sure you don't miss a thing. This has been an original audio production From the open.